Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Good morning to you. My name is uh, John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Incredibly glad to be here with you as we continue in our series uh, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're, we're crawling through there. And, you know, I've shared with you before, one of my favorite places to go and, and, and study and work on um, whenever I'm writing sermons is the Peachtree City Library uh, because they have some little study rooms that we can get to. And I, some of y'all are panicking right now because you remember the story I shared last time. And let me assure you that I did not run into the nose picker this time. And you're welcome for that image coming back in your mind. Um, but I'm in the bathroom this time. And so, all right, I know you're worried. I promise this is clean, okay? This won't give you the, the same um, visual. So I'm in the bathroom, and I walk up to the sink, and it's, it's those automatic sinks, right? So you put your hands under there, the water's supposed to come out of those things. So I go up, and I'm like, all right, got to wash my hands because that's the right thing to do. And put my hands under there, and nothing comes out. So I pull my hands back, and the water starts going. And I was like, put it back under there real quick. And the water stopped. Finally, I got enough water on my hands to say, okay, now I'll put soap on there, and, you know, suds them all up, put my hands back under the, the faucet, and nothing happens. Pull my hands back out, the water comes out. And then I was doing that dance. Thankfully, I was the only one in the bathroom at the time. And I said to myself, kind of out loud, man, I hate these things. And I went... And then I really laughed at myself because I said, John, you're studying Proverbs chapter 6, and you're about to go dive into the things that God hates. And here you are saying you hate a faucet that doesn't work properly. Anybody can relate to that? You hate those faucets? Yeah. But But I really thought, okay, I really don't hate those things to the same level that God is talking about in Proverbs chapter 6. So I thought to myself, and it sounds like it was a long conversation. It really wasn't. It went by pretty quick. Um... I thought to myself, well, what is it that I really do hate? And so the first thing that popped in my head was wasps. I hate those things for a number of different reasons. I hate them because when I was a kid, I was attacked by a swarm of them and got stung like seven to ten times in my ear the day we were moving from North Carolina to Georgia and felt like I was, you know, Dumbo on one side of my head as we were coming down this way. Um, But I really hate them, not just because of what they did to me. I hate them because a couple of years ago, we were um, vacationing at a lake house and my son Luke is out there on the dock, and apparently there's a wasp nest down there somewhere because they come and they get him and they sting him on his nose. And I hear this blood-curdling scream, and we all kind of go running because we're not really sure what's going on. Did he step on a hook, whatever, find out that he, he was stung? So I do what I always do. I grab him and take him to Lindsay so that she can care for him in case there's blood. Um, and, and then so then I do what I also do best, which is I go, all right, I'm going to wipe these things off the face of the earth. And I'll, I'll go down there. I'm probably have two or three cans of wasp spray with me. I've got the flask water attached to my belt. I'm ready to get those guys, right? And so the wasps may have struck first, but the Warnocks don't play, and I wiped those things out, all right? And I thought, you know what? I hate those things. Why? Because what they did to my kid. That's why I hated them. I mean, that particular ones, I'm sure they serve some kind of purpose in the world, so maybe I don't hate all of them, but I hated those because they hurt my son who I love. And then it dawned on me, as I was going through Proverbs chapter 6, where it talks about God hating these things. God hates these things that we're about to go over. Why? Because of what it does to His creation. 
his children, the people that he loves. So when, he, when we talk about these things, sometimes people think when they hear this passage or when they hear things where God hates certain things, they think, well, man, God's just kind of a jerk, isn't he? No, he's not. He hates these things because of what it does to his children, his prized Christian. Matter of fact, the people that he loves so much that what did he do? He came out of heaven. Why? So that he could reconnect people to himself, so that they could be forgiven. That's how much God loves people. That's how much God cares for his people. And it's the reason why, with these things that we're about to talk about, it is the reason why he hates them. And just in case you doubt whether or not God really does love and care for people, remember 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. You can write that down. I don't have it on the screen for you. But it talks about God not wanting anyone to perish. He absolutely loves people. And so today we're continuing again in the study of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. If you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you to open that up. Turn it there. Again, it's Proverbs chapter 6. Verses 16 through 19. Here's what that passage says. It says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Let me tell you where we're headed today. We're simply going to just dissect those verses. Talk about what does it mean to have haughty eyes. And then we're going to talk about well, what do we do about it as followers of Christ? What do we actually do if we find that we struggle in that area? And we're going to give you a simple plan to be able to do that. Now, before we pray, I want to quickly define for you this word hate. Some of your translations in your Bibles might say the word abomination. Here's what that means. It refers to anything that God finds personally disgusting. It offends His character, and He takes particular exception to it. Alright? That's when, when we talk about that God hates these things. That's what's going on here. He finds it personally disgusting. It's an offense to Him. Mainly because of what it does to His creation. So before we dig in, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to gather, to sing to you, to worship you. And God, I pray for each person in this room, especially me, that you will help me, help us to have ears to hear what you are teaching us today. And more than just hearing it, but that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, will change our lives. And I acknowledge that on my own, I can't live the type of life that we're talking about. On my own, God, I and we do things that you hate. On my own, on our own, we cause problems. So help us, help me, God. Help me to hear and to align my life with your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So verse 17 gets things started. It says, God hates haughty eyes. Our eyes contain or convey all kinds of feelings and attitudes. 
When people look at us, they can tell sometimes what we're thinking, what we're feeling. I mean, our, our kids learn. When we kind of give them the evil eye, they know that they need to stop doing what they're doing, right? We can speak volumes to them just by looking at them. We, we're able to do that. Even my dog has learned. I can give her a certain look and her tail will kind of go down between her legs if she's done stuff. Why? Because our eyes, our faces, they can, they can convey all kinds of things. Some good things, some bad things. They can show love and anger, impatience, sorrow, sarcasm, happiness, guilt. But they can show pride. And God hates it when we have a prideful face, when we have prideful eyes. You see, to the ancient Hebrew that would have been reading this, prideful eyes meant that it, would, it was referring to a person who thought they were better than other people and that they looked down on other people. And that's what it meant to have haughty eyes. It was somebody who said, you know what, I'm better than them and I look down on them. And God says, I hate that. Why is this an affront to God? Why does God hate this attitude? Again, it harms the people that He loves. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, those are radical words in, in, in the time that this was written. Radical, because the culture there, I mean, it really did have a system of certain people were better than others. Depending on who you were, what family you were from, what gender you were, what race you were. And there were those that were looked at as better than others. And Paul is writing here, he says, no, 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 there's not one that's better than the other. And honestly, it's radical words for us today, isn't it? And Scripture is telling us here that, listen, there's no one of us that's better than the other. This verse is teaching us that in Christ... All people are valuable and loved by God. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this to us. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. What is this passage saying? Well, this passage is basically saying we shouldn't think too much of ourselves. Why? Because when we really think about, let me say it this way, when I think about the things that I have done, the things that I have felt, the things that I have said, I realize that ultimately God has given me incredible grace. Yes? And therefore, I should extend that same grace to other people. I am not better than anybody else and must extend the same grace God gave me to others. So what do we do? We pray this simple prayer. Now, this prayer is going to come up on the screen. Let me go ahead and take a little sidebar here and tell you about these prayers. I'm going to give you a prayer for each one of the seven things that God hates. And these prayers are very, very simple. Most of them are one sentence. Some of them may be two sentences. But they're very simple. They're designed to hopefully be easy to, be, to remember easy to write down, but they're also designed because it's not about me and you trying harder to not do this. It's not about me saying, okay, well, I'm just, I'm just not going to be prideful anymore. But it's about me pressing into Jesus and allowing Jesus to transform my life. All of these prayers are ultimately asking God to transform us and for us to simply submit to Him and for Him to live through us. So, if you find yourself that you struggle with pride, you struggle with haughty, haughty eyes, you simply pray this. 
simple prayer. Lord, reveal to me my hidden arrogance and remove it from me. Reveal it to me, Lord, and remove it from me. We're asking God to help you. So God hates pride. But in verse 17, he goes on to say, God hates a lying tongue. We see all throughout the book of Proverbs and all throughout Scripture that God hates lies. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says this. The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. Last week, if you were here, you remember Pastor Keith mentioned that there's people that don't like to admit that they're lazy. All right? Apparently, people don't have the same problem admitting that they are liars. Ran across this survey. I didn't do the survey, so I can't tell you 100% this. This is all 100% right, but it was from a trusted resource, and I go, hey, all right, even if it's half right, we're in trouble. Listen to this. 91% of people admitted to routinely lying about things that they thought weren't important. 91% of people said that they would easily tell a lie if they thought it wasn't about something that was important. 36% of people admitted to lying about important things. 86% of people said that they would lie to their parents. 75% of people said that they lied to their friends on a regular basis. 69% of people say that they lie to their spouse on a regular basis. I think these stats show that we have a problem with telling the truth. And lying takes place really in three primary forms. Let me help define this for you. Falsehood about the past. We retell history. We retell stories in a more favorable light so that we look a little bit better. We tell half-truths. And we exaggerate. And we do this again to maybe keep ourselves out of trouble or to make ourselves look better. But lying also takes the form of Falsehoods about the present. Untrue flattery towards other people. Again, to try to earn their favor. Insincerity. Seduction. But lying also takes the place of something in the future. Falsehood about the future. Making empty promises or promises that you have no ability or intention of keeping is a form of lying. Not following through with what you say you're going to do. Consistently missing deadlines where you work. It's a form of lying. All three of these things, they cause great harm to yourself and they cause great harm to other people. When you make empty promises to other people, as an example, people probably where you work know that you're a follower of Christ. They at least know that probably you attend church. And if you're consistently missing deadlines or consistently making promises that you can't keep or don't keep, you know what they extrapolate out of that? They say, see... Another Christian who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. And it does damage to the kingdom of God. Ultimately, it does damage to that person. Putting another barrier between them and God. Now, why does God hate lying? Because it is an offense to who He is. It damages relationships with other people. First John chapter 5, verse 6, not on the screen, but it says this. It says, the Spirit of God is truth. But John chapter 14, verse 6, which I think is on the screen in a second, says this. Jesus is speaking. Jesus answers, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus here is saying, he is truth. God is truth, and the antithesis of his nature is lies. 
Who in the Bible is described as a liar? Who in the Bible is described as the father of lies? Yeah, the devil, Satan. He is. So check this out. When you and I lie, when we exaggerate, when we don't follow through with what we say we're going to do, do you know who we're reflecting instead of God? We're reflecting Satan to other people instead of God. That's a terrible place to be. So what do we do if we have trouble lying? Well, we pray this. Lord, alert me to the destructive force of my tongue. Keep me from every form of lying and help me to reflect you, God. Help me to reflect you, God. It's a simple prayer. God hates pride. God hates lies. But God also says here in verse 17 that He hates hands that shed innocent blood. Literally, this means the killing of someone who is innocent, murdering someone. Now, most of you like me probably went, I got this one. I'm good. I struggled with pride a little bit. Struggled with lying a little bit, but never killed anybody. I'm golden. But what standard did Jesus bring to this? Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. Jesus, again, he's speaking here. He says this. He says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. You could say in here as well, if you were translating it, anybody who hates Someone gets credited with murder. Why? Well, when you say you hate someone, do you realize you are saying that you hate someone that God created? That person who you think you hate was created by God. That person was loved so much that if he was the only person or if she was the only person to have ever walked the face of the earth, that God still would have sent his son to redeem them. And so when we hate them, we're saying to God's creation, we don't think your creation is good. It's an affront to God's character. It's an affront to who he is. We have a problem with that in our society. We celebrate the fact that we don't like certain people. We have word of words online with other people who we disagree with. But I really think also we have a bigger problem in our country. And there's, there's that, but our country also struggles with something. A couple weeks ago, our church had an opportunity to support the Pregnancy Resource Center and the banquet that they did. We got to hear their speaker and they, they talked about this. They said, you know, we have something in our country that's legal but not right. They were talking about abortion. In our country, it's legal to kill an unborn child. That's not right. In church, we've got to stand up and say and do something about that. Why? Because Scripture teaches us that God knitted us together. He knew us before we were born. Listen, I, I don't know your past, and I'm certainly not here heaping guilt on you, because Scripture says, if I hate somebody, and I've said I've hated people before, and probably did for a little while, that I get credited with murder. 
And the good news for all of us, wherever we fall in that, those categories of things, the good news for all of us is this, is that God forgives us, God redeems us, and He restores us regardless of where you are, where you have been, and what you have done. And so if we struggle in this area of hating someone, we can be set free from the pain and the guilt of all of that. And we pray this. Lord, forgive me for my past. I fall into your embrace of love and grace and mercy. And help me to extend that to other people. You see, that prayer first takes care of our problems. Then you're asking for God's help to extend that grace to other people. God hates pride, He hates lies, He hates murder. But He goes on in verse 18 where it says God hates a heart that devises wicked schemes. Devises in in the ancient Hebrew gave this word picture. It was to plow or to engrave into a hard material or into the ground. It's like cutting into and etching something into a stone. And a heart that devises wicked schemes is a heart that has become a seedbed of evil because they had done so much evil that their heart has been etched into And it's become the natural bent of that heart to do evil. And you see, God wants the hearts of His people to be reserved for the worship of God. But when we mar those hearts by continuing to do evil or doing evil, we mess them up for the worship of God. Matthew chapter 15 verse 19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, and false testimony. Jesus is teaching here that Our hearts without Him are indeed unclean. They are hearts that are in need of a Savior. So if you find your heart leans this way, pray this. Lord, cleanse my heart from any hurtful way. Lord, cleanse my heart from any hurtful way. A simple prayer. God hates pride, hates lies, He hates murder. He hates hearts that devise wicked plans, but according to verse 18, God hates feet that are quick to rush into evil. Now really, this has more to do with our heart situation than our feet. This this is referring really to habitual sin. The, The first time we sin or do something that is sinful, don't we usually feel guilty for that? I mean, if you're a follower of Christ, you feel guilty. It's like this hard thing. It kind of punches you in the gut. But if you continue in it, It's not as hard anymore, is it? All right, now admittedly, this is a very old illustration. Admittedly, it may be even dumb to some of you. But I remember as a, um, I've I've shared with you guys before my story. I I grew up in the church, but I didn't become a follower of Christ until just before high school. And when I became a follower of Christ, God really did transform my life. He helped me to to not worry so much. He really did transform um, the way that I spoke to people, about people, and the words that I said. And so I was involved here at this church in the student ministry, and we were, uh, it, was a, it was a great group of people to grow and, and learn about who God is with, and I loved it, but, but I wasn't perfect still. And I vividly remember the day we were driving down, I, was, I had a, an old Cutlass Supreme that I could fit about 30 people in, so it was a lot of fun. But I remember driving down the road, and I, I vividly remember exactly where I was on the road when this happened. I was on Braylon Road, right before that road splits off where the big oak tree is. You know what I'm talking about? And for some stupid reason... I let a cuss word fly out of my mouth. And I remember it felt like on the inside I had gotten punched in the gut when I said it. And I remember all 30 people in the back seat just going, Oh, we can't believe you just said that. 
And I was like, well, I'll show you guys, and just kind of kept letting them fly. And I was like, man, what in the world are you doing, John? I'm thinking, having that conversation going on. And then days go by, weeks go by, and I kind of jump back into this habit of letting foul things come out of my mouth. You see, what I didn't do when I got that initial thing of guilt, that feeling of guilt, that sensation of guilt, that God thumping me on the head going, dude, what you're doing is not right. I didn't stop and repent. I kept going. And the longer I kept going, the easier it was for that stuff to happen. Why? Because my heart began to get calloused. I began to stop feeling the Holy Spirit there. And I, man, God had to do radical surgery on my life in high school on those things and kind of bring me back. And it was good. And I'm thankful that God did that. And the good news for all of us is, is When we find ourselves in those situations, there still is the opportunity to be restored. Make no mistake, you're not going to live a perfect life. You're going to mess up. But when we mess up, we need to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that when we do, that we turn from that sin. And we say, God, I turn towards you. So what do we do when we find ourselves in that spot? We pray this prayer. Lord God, halt my tracks that I might not sin against you. I confess to you my sin of, and then you fill in the blank, whatever it is. And by the work of your Son on the cross, thank you that I am forgiven. Again, you notice in that prayer, it wasn't me just trying to do better. It was allowing God to change me from the inside out. God hates pride. He hates lies. He hates murder. He hates a heart that is wicked. He hates feet that rush to evil, but he also hates, according to verse 19, he hates a false witness who pours out lies. He hates a false witness who pours out lies. Now again, you might be thinking just kind of like the murder thing. Whew, I got this one done because I hadn't been to court and had to testify against anybody. I hadn't had to do that in my entire life. But, when was the last time you had an opportunity to defend someone who was being made fun of or being talked about unkindly? Happens pretty regularly, doesn't it? And we have options when that starts to happen. We're a group of people and somebody starts to take someone's name and drag them through the mud, whether it's true or not. You have an opportunity to defend them and say, hey, you know what? This conversation shouldn't be happening because if you have a problem with this person, you need to go straight to them. Or you just shouldn't talk about them. Or you can chime in and agree and say, you know what? Yeah, that person's a jerk. I can't believe they did that stuff. Or you can sit there and be silent. And by your silence... You're showing that you agree with whatever's being said. Listen, God says the only good option there is option number one. We defend Him. We speak the truth in love and we stop that gossip. We stop that. He hates it when we jump on the bandwagon and we smear someone's character or when we simply sit by in silence and listen to other people's sinfulness. Why does God hate that? Because it divides His people and causes disunity among God's people. So what if we struggle in that area? We pray this prayer. Lord, let my witness be true. And let me be someone who lives out 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, which says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. May my words and actions do that. My words and actions do just that. God hates pride. He hates lies. He hates murder. He hates a heart that devises wicked plans and feet that rush into evil. And he hates a false witness. But finally, verse 19 says, God hates a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. 
Now, master of the obvious moment for all of us, we're going to get in quarrels. We're going to get in disagreements with people, aren't we? I mean, we are. We're people. We're going to look at a situation, and I'm going to see one way, and someone else is going to see another way, and those things are going to compete against one another, and we're going to, we're going to quarrel sometimes. Well, when you see that happening among people that you know and you love, or even that you don't know and love, but you see it starting to happen, you have two choices to make. You can reinforce the division that's going on by saying, you know what, yeah, your boss is crazy. I can't believe they would do something like that. I would certainly never lead like that. I would certainly never do that. I can't believe that person would do that to you. Or we can encourage reconciliation as Paul modeled for us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. Let me read those, that passage for you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. Paul is writing and he says, I plead with you, you we, uh, I can't say that person's name, so I'm going to try. And I plead with you, the other lady, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yeah, I went to seminary and I still can't say their names. Yes, and I ask you, lo- loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice. and The God of peace will be with you. What was Paul doing here? He had an opportunity. There was two, apparently two women who I can't say their names. They were fighting with each other. They were quarreling among each other. And he could have written down and said, Hey, you know what? This lady, she's wrong. What she's doing is awful. He could have taken sides and he didn't. What did he do instead? Check this out. He focused them on Christ. He focused them on God's faithfulness, on the beauty of the gospel, and on the common bond in the coming kingdom of God. And when we choose option number one, we cause division. But when we choose to operate like Paul modeled for us, we become peacemakers. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus is speaking there and He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You see, we have an opportunity, church. We have an opportunity as individuals to be peacemakers. And so that when people see us, they go, Oh, something is different about them. They help bring peace and unity. And then you get to share about Jesus Christ. So what do we pray? We pray this. God, give me your heart for people. Help me to bring, help me to be someone who brings peace. Give me your heart for people. Help me to be someone who brings peace. Now listen, we've looked at these seven things that God says that He hates. And again, remember, it's because God hates what it does to us, the people that He loves. And maybe, if you're like me, you realize you can't do all this on your own. And maybe if you're like me, you went through this, you went, oh gosh, I still struggle with some of these things. Doing some things God hates. And I realize on my own, I can't do this. 
And that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is you don't have to try harder. The beauty of the gospel is you can't do it on your own, but Jesus Christ in you can. And so as the band comes up, I'm going to ask that you bow your head and close your eyes. There's at least two groups of people in here. The first group of you, you're followers of Christ already. And if that's you, the first thing I'd like to ask you to pray about is to pray for the people that are in this room that don't know Jesus Christ. Pray that they would respond to His love and grace and mercy. But the second group of people that are in this room are people that have not yet chosen to become a follower of Christ. And what I want you to know is this, is that there is a God who loves you tremendously. And He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to forgive you. And so if that's you, then tell God something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask you to come into my life to be my leader. In other words, God, you take control of who I am and be my forgiver. God, forgive me of my sin. I choose to go your way and not my own. And the incredible thing is this. The Bible says that if we pray a prayer similar to that. It's not magic words. But when we pray that, the Bible says you have become a new creation. The old has passed and God has given you a brand new life. And that is incredible. Your sins are forgiven. You have now the opportunity to have life to the fullest here on earth. And life in heaven one day with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Now listen, if you prayed a prayer similar to that, this morning. Then I want to ask that you'd let us know about it. On that communication card that Pastor Chad spoke of just a few moments ago, there's a box on the back of that card that you can check that says, that says, I'm becoming a follower of Jesus today. Would you let us know about that decision? We're not going to embarrass you, but we as a church, one of the things that we exist for is to help people know God and to help people grow in their relationship with Him. And we want to help you on that journey. So if you'll let us know about it, we'll help you. We'll give you some resources that will help you on that journey. You can turn that card in in a little while when we pass the offering baskets. Now we're going to continue in an extended time of prayer. We as a church, we, we realize that, as Pastor Keith has said time and time again, that we pray not because there's power in prayer but because of the one that we pray to is powerful God and we've been taking moments extended periods of times in each of our services and dedicated those times for you to pray or for us to pray as a congregation well today's extended prayer time is really for you to do individual communication with God that's what prayer is praying and listening and we walked through today seven things that God hates. And I gave you seven simple prayers. Those prayers are going to come up on the screen. They're going to, there are three or four of them on the first slide, and then it'll rotate to the other three or four. And we want to give you the next four or five minutes. So if you have found, as we were going through these seven things that God hates, if you found, you know what, I struggle in two of these areas. We want to give you the opportunity for you and God just to do business and for you to pray. Number four, Jesus, cleanse my heart from any hurtful way. 
and then just listen and obey whatever it is that He said. So let's spend these next few minutes praying. Father God, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Lord, I God, I ask that you'd help us to reflect who you are to other people. And God, when we begin to do things that displease you or cause you anguish, God, help us to immediately turn back towards you. Lord, we thank You that You made that all possible through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we continue to sing praises to You, God, help us to worship You in spirit and truth. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.